we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Matthew chapter 6, when we come to Matthew 6, chapter 5, 6, and 7, you come to a portion of Scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has legitimately offered himself to the nation of Israel to be their king. And, of course, John chapter 1 tells us that he came unto his own, but his own received him not. And when Jesus came as the promised Messiah, as the king, he came in a little different form than they were expecting. They wanted a knight on a white horse, defeating the armies of Rome and liberating them politically. But Jesus did not come to be that kind of king. He came to die. They weren't ready for that kind of a king. And they thought that the lion was coming first, but the lamb came. And he offers himself to the nation of Israel, and they reject him. And in this king, or in this kingdom rather, the king lays out for us this manifesto of the kingdom, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And he talks about some real radical things. Go just a page back in your Bible to chapter 5 and uh, verse number 3. He begins saying things like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. And they're thinking, wait, this doesn't sound, uh, this doesn't sound like a, a real good deal for us. You know, you gotta, you got to be meek and you got to be humble and hunger and thirst. And he sort, of, he sort of turns the whole thing on its head, right? And he came to radically change. He did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And his teaching was a little bit odd. We come to chapter number 6. He begins speaking to us on the matter of prayer. And we'll begin our reading in verse number 5, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. The Word of God says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our young people have heard... Uh, some of these things in recent days, but I just felt so impressed as I'm reading last night and looking over a number of things. I felt impressed to bring this message this morning. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I want you to go to verse number 13. I'd like you to make note of these four words, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Very often when I read this portion of Scripture, I think of a story that one of my wife's friends told us years ago, and uh, I, I, sympathize, I sympathize with the girl and, and the story, and so I, I think of it often, but 
she, had, uh, she was in college, and she'd met a young man, and they'd started talking. They were very interested in one another. And so they thought that it was time for her to meet his family. Right? You know how that goes, right? The whole meet the family for the first time. So she was very nervous, and uh, she wanted to make a, a great first impression. And so uh, the whole family was getting together, and they were meeting at the Golden Corral. You're already starting off really, really bad, right? And they all got their food. They went through the buffet. They all got their food, and they sat down. And she said there was a whole group of them there. It was, it was his parents, and uh, I think her sister was there, and then grandparents, and like one or two aunts and uncles, and all 34 cousins. Anyway, large group of them. They're, they're at this big table. And uh, so Grandpa stands up, and, and Grandpa says, let's all pray. And when he says that, they all in unison just, they all stand up. And she's, oh, okay. So she, she stands up, and they all hold hands. And so, oh, we're doing this. Okay, so she holds hands, right? And then in unison, they all begin to recite the Lord's Prayer very loudly in the middle of Cracker, or uh, not Cracker, but if it was Cracker Bell, it'd be different, right? <laughs> Everyone does that at Cracker Bell, at Golden Corral. And she said she was so nervous that she kind of forgot, like, you know, what the Lord's Prayer, heaven, name, kingdom come. Anyway, she said it was a disaster, and she was so embarrassed that she sits, you know, sits down. And every time I read this, I think of this poor girl standing in the golden corral trying to remember the Lord's Prayer. Well, Jesus is teaching us some things, many wonderful things in this Lord's Prayer. The fact of the matter is this. There's not a sincere Christian on planet Earth that's satisfied with, they, with where they are in their prayer life. Not one of us. No sincere Christian ever says, yes, I pray enough. Yes, my prayers are effectual enough. Yes, my prayers are accomplishing enough. No, no Christian feels that way, and we understand that. This morning, I don't want to speak to you on the subject of prayer, though Christ is giving to us this model prayer. And I, by the way, I would remind you, this is not the Lord's Prayer. We, we call this the Lord's Prayer, but truly, if you want to discover what the Lord's Prayer is, you can turn to John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying. He's praying for you. He's praying for me, praying for his followers. And you find there this intercessory prayer of Jesus in John 17. Here, he is giving to us more of what we know as a model prayer. This is how you model your prayer. And by the way, we know that we're not supposed to repeat this prayer over and over and over again, because in preceding verses, he says that we're not to use vain repetition as the heathens do. I don't think there's anything wrong with praying this prayer and certainly using portions of it. For years, for years I have prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's what I believe. This is the true heart's cry of every one of God's people. If you know Christ is your Savior, if, the, if the, the blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for your sin, if, if you truly are a child of God, then it is your heart's cry as it is mine. Keep me from the evil. Hold your place here and turn to 1 John, if you would, please. We'll come back to Matthew chapter number 6. But John has some very interesting things to say on this matter. 1 John chapter number 3 Verse number 6 says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. 
He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, verse number 10 gets very serious. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, this is some serious speech here. If you take it as it's stated, I'm in big trouble. Because John says, if you sin, you're a child of the devil. Well, I've got news for you. And you don't need to act so surprised, but I'm a sinner. And I do it a lot, unfortunately. What is he saying here? That word committeth that he uses over and over again is a word that bears with it a present continuous tense. If you go back to the original Greek, which we don't need to be Greek scholars, but it bears with a present continuous tense, very simply meaning this. If you are presently sinning and you are continually sinning and you have no qualms about that, you have no, no remorse for it, you're continuing in sin, you're going on and on and on in it, then the Bible says you're not a child of God because a true child of God cannot, com cannot continually commit sin with no repercussions because there's this guy living inside of you. It's the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God in dwells you as you break the law of God and you break the commandments of God, he makes life very uncomfortable. I've shared this before, but my mom, when I was very little, she would use this illustration over and over and over again. She would say, Daniel, if you're in a, in a telephone booth and a wasp flies into the telephone booth, he cannot remove you physically from that telephone booth, but would you leave? Yes. That's sort of like the spirit of God for the believer. Look, he does not drag me kicking and screaming to the, to the law of God and say, you will do this. But let me tell you, he makes life really, really uncomfortable. And to, at some point, the believer just says, look, I can't live in sin anymore. I can't do that anymore. That's what John's talking about. This is the heart cry of every, not that we're sinless people, not that we live perfect lives. No, we're far from it. And because we are far from it, our hearts turn to God and they say, oh, Lord, would you just keep me from the evil? I don't want to sin isn't this the, the great conflict of the Apostle Paul in that well-known passage? Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Previously, he talks about all the stuff that he doesn't want to do, and yet he finds himself doing it. And then there's this whole pile of things over here. He goes, this is all the stuff that I really do want to do, but guess what? I don't do half of it. I really want to do it, but I just don't. You say, Paul, why don't you? Well, because I got the world fighting me. I got my own flesh fighting me. I got the devil on my, on my case. My adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. Walking, he's walking about seeking whom he may devour, and he's fighting me all the time. So there's all these things that I really want to do, but I don't do them. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't want to do, but I find myself doing it. And when I find myself doing it, I turn to heaven, and I say, oh, Father, would you keep me from the evil? I don't want to do it. Every believer in this room does exactly what I'm talking about right now. And Jesus gives us a wonderful example. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you fast forward in your thinking just a few years, we find this, this teaching played out in the life of Christ himself. 
He's coming to the scene of the, the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that the cross is before him. And the Bible says he takes his disciples and he goes into the garden and he leaves most of the disciples in one spot. And he takes Peter and James and John with him and he says, come with me just a little further. And they go a little further into the garden. And he says to Peter, James and John, he says, oh, I want you to stay here and I want you to pray for me because my, my soul is troubled. My hour has come. He said he left them there and then he continues on a little bit further and he falls on his knees and he prays. And he gets back up and he goes and he checks on Peter, James, and John, and they're sleeping. And he wakes them up. He says, please, would you pray with me? And then he goes back and he prays. He comes back a third time and he finds them sleeping. He says, just sleep on. But when Jesus goes and he prays, what does he pray? He prays, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it. Oh, please, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Now look at verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 6, please. Jesus says this, and lead us not into temptation. Now that word temptation obviously means temptation to do wrong, temptation to sin, temptation to excess the law of God, but it means far more than that. You see, this word temptation, and by the way, here in Matthew chapter 6, this is the very first time that this word temptation, this particular word, is used in Scripture. It actually means any sort of trial or trouble, any testing, any pressure, any of those things in life that we would pray against. And by the way, we pray against them all the time, we just don't think of it in this way. Someone's going on a trip. We say, Father, we pray that you would keep them safe. We are praying that you keep us from that, that storm. I mentioned earlier uh, some friends of mine years ago, uh, they were missionaries and they had two small children. They were back in the States for just a, a few months doing some visiting around and they were driving in the snow and their van on the interstate hit an icy spot, slid off of the interstate and hit a pole and killed their small child instantly. See, we pray against those things. We say, Father, would you keep us safe? Lord, would you keep us healthy? Lord, would you provide the financial need? This is what Jesus is saying. Lord, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to face the cross. It's against everything ingrained within my human nature to go through any of this. So I'm praying, Lord, if it would be your will, if there's any possibility, let it pass away from me. Nevertheless, see, Jesus is teaching us a great lesson here. Look at verse number 13. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. Keep the trial, keep the pressure, keep all of those things. Lord, we pray against those things. But if in your perfect, omnipotent, omniscient will, if you bring it to my life, then keep me from the evil. Lord, don't let me sin in it. By the way, testing comes in a variety of ways. Testing comes when there's hard days, but testing also comes when there's good days. You see, on the greatest of days, I'm so prone to just forget the Lord, and so are you. So the prayer here is very simply this, Lord, keep us from all of those things, but in your perfect will, when they come to my life, would you please keep me from the evil? This is what Jesus says. 1 John, excuse me, 1 Corinthians, rather, chapter 10 and verse 13 says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. The word temptation that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6 and the word temptation that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 10 are the exact same word. There has no trial, there has no test, there has no trying of your faith ever come to you that is not common to man. What does Job say? Man that's born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's just part of life. But the cry of every believer is, Lord, in all of it, would you keep us from evil? Paul says here in 1 Corinthians that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And then he throws in this wonderful conjunction, but God. Let me tell you, your life and my life would be far, far different than what it is today, but God. You're sitting in church this morning, but God. You say, well, I'm not where I need to be in life. I know, neither am I. None of us are, but God. Paul said, I am, but I am what I am by the grace of God. Look, I'm not where I want to be, but God interjected in my life. Let me tell you something. I was on my way to hell, but God. I was bound to sin, but God. I had everything of destruction and misery in my path for life, but God. Now watch this. Jesus uses another conjunction. Go to Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verse number 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine. The hymn writer said it this way, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Where does our attention need to be? Our attention does not need to be on the evil. You see, if I'm, if my, I'm constantly thinking of evil, I have no victory over sin. Where does my attention need to be? Where Jesus says it should be. Deliver me for, from evil for thine. He gives us four beautiful truths that I want to give to you very quickly here. Deliver us from evil. Look at verse number 13. He says, first of all, for thine is the kingdom. Peter, how's it going on that stormy sea? Stormy sea? Oh, I just see Jesus. The lightning flashing, the waves blowing, the wind rocking around, and he says, I only see Jesus. Let me tell you where our eyes need to be. When it comes to this thing of deliver us from evil, they need to be right on the Lord, and they need to be on his kingdom. You see, when you look at the world around us and you see all that's going on, it's hard not to get caught up in the now. People say things like this, don't turn on the news, it's all bad news, right? I want you to know, people have been saying that for a long, long time. 35, 40 years ago, my dad watched the nightly news. Tom Brokaw, yeah, Dan Rather, right? And, and my brother and I, we'd be, we'd be in and out of the living room and... Uh, you know, our reward for watching the nightly news was uh, Jeopardy and the Wheel of Fortune, which came on afterwards, right? And um, I got pretty good at Jeopardy. That whole, that whole guessing thing, though, I'm not very good at it. Let me say something. All those years ago, my dad would say, nothing good to watch on here. It's all bad news. It hadn't gotten any better. It hadn't gotten any better. And here's what our temptation is. 
It is to look at everything that is going on and to be distracted by and have the emphasis placed upon what's happening in the world. Let me tell you, it's bad news. Russia, Ukraine. I read a story this past week of a section of the Ukraine where Russian troops retreated from. They withdrew from that section. And when relief workers went in, they found hundreds of citizens that were murdered. Hundreds. I think the number was like 900. Children, women, men, old people, just murdered. You think about, the, about China and what China is trying to do, taking over lands. Think of all the weak, the weak, cripplingly weak world leadership that we have right now. I want you to know the stage has never been more set for one person to step on to the pages of human history and say, I'll take control. But when you think of all that's happening in, in the world, here's what, here's what we're, we're tempted to think. Satan's got this thing wrapped up. There's an agenda and it cannot be stopped. And most people live their lives, even their Christian lives, most people live their lives in light of what is happening all around them. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, if you would, please. Hold your place here in Matthew. Turn to Revelation chapter number 11. John is given wonderful visions of things that are going to be. He records them for us in the pages of Scripture. Revelation chapter number 11 and verse number 12, the Bible says, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let me tell you something. The devil is the prince of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is working all of his evil, dastardly deeds, and he's doing it because he knows his time is short. But let me tell you what Satan has attached to him, a very short leash. And the day is coming, and I think it's coming very, very soon, when that leash is going to run out, and God's going to say, let me tell you, hold on, stop. The kingdoms have now become the kingdoms of me and of my Christ. Let me tell you what that does for me. That helps me. In this world, when everything seems chaotic, when everything seems out of control, by the way, when everything seems as if people are getting away with things. Isn't that what David said? Look, I look at the heathen. They're prospering. They care nothing for God. Look at Russia. They're just running rampant over, I mean, killing people. There's no justice there. There's no check to that. There's nobody standing up and saying, hey, you can't do that. Look at what China's doing. Look at all the, look at all of the, the, the slave trading that's still going on in our world today. And, and look at all these women who are being abducted. All this, the terrible things are happening in our world. And we begin to think there's no justice. There's no check to it. Let me tell you something. This world is the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And when I begin to think that way, here's what I do. I turn to heaven and I say, keep me from the evil. I don't want that. I don't want this world system. 
I don't want what's going on. I don't want what everybody else says is acceptable. Look, everybody, everyone's saying that, you know, you can't, you can't speak about these things. You can't teach Bible truth and preach Bible truth. And look, forget all of that. Here's what I say. The kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And I'm living for Jesus. And when I, when I live that way, when I think that way, I turn to heaven and I said, all right, Lord, would you keep me from the evil? Number one is his kingdom. Go back to verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 6. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, number two, and the power. Everyone's obsessed with power. Everybody wants power, right? Power, power, power. Nobody knows of the power. By the, the human mind cannot even comprehend the power of God. We read this in our Sunday school class, but Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist." Try to picture this. Try to imagine this. A being so powerful that he stood upon nothing and spoke. It doesn't even make sense, does it? I mean, it's like you can't even... He just spoke. One of my favorite, most impactful phrases for me personally in all of Scripture is those, that phrase in the book of Genesis, and he made the stars also. And he made that too. Years ago, I read a Christian scientist, and he made, this, he made this statement. He said, there are galaxies all over space, hundreds and hundreds of light years wide, these galaxies. And he said, there are 10,000 galaxies for every blade of grass on planet Earth. Here's how God put that. And he made the stars also. Look, that's power beyond anything that you can even... Oh, by the way, he didn't just create it. He didn't just speak it into existence. But the Bible says here in Colossians that by him all things consist, meaning they are held together. Back in the 60s and 70s, all these really, really smart people got together, and they're trying to figure out why all of these galaxies, as they're spinning through space, why don't they just sort of spin off into nothingness? All these atoms and electrons and neutrons, and they're just zipping around there. Why don't, why don't, what holds them together? So they come up with this really, really um, interesting term, cosmic glue. It's no joke. Let me read this for you. This is, uh, this is dated August 29th of 2017, Associated Press. Here's the headline. Scientists race to spot cosmic glue. In deep underground laboratories around the globe, a high-tech race is on to spot dark matter the invisible cosmic glue believed to keep galaxies from spinning apart. Wherever discover, uh, whoever discovers the nature of dark matter would solve one of modern science's greatest mysteries and be a shoe-in for the Nobel Prize. Quote, we're in the golden age of dark matter search, said Sean Carroll, a California Institute of Technology theoretical physicist. By the way, you don't even need to be a physicist, just a theoretical physicist. Let me tell you what I think about that. Give me an award, quick. 
theoretical physicist. It's funny, right? He says, quote, it's looking good for some breakthroughs to happen. Let me tell you something. Cosmic glue has a name. It's Jesus. He holds it all together. The word of his power created it all, and he's, and he's sustaining it all. By the way, I remind you, the Bible says that one of these days, all of the elements will melt away with a fervent heat. You know what's going to happen? The one who's holding it all together is just going to say, I'm good. And there it goes. Oh, but he's not done yet. That's power on display. Yeah, but he's not done yet. The best part is he'll put it all back together in a brand new heaven and a brand new earth, and I'll live there forever. Look, that's power. Let me tell you what happens when I begin to get a glimpse, just a glimpse of the power of who God is. I turn to heaven and I say, keep me from evil. I don't want any part of it. By the way, the devil's lying to some of you today. And he wants you to believe that the power that is holding you to your pet sin, your private sin, the power that's holding you to that thing is more powerful than anything else, and you'll never break free from it. Whatever's holding you to sin, whatever's holding you is nothing in comparison to this. Hold your place here. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10, just a few pages over in your Bible. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 26. Jesus says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye unto the housetop. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, there's this wonderful thing, this awful wonderful thing called peer pressure, and it's powerful. And there are lots of Christian people who are living a life that they know that they should not live. They're living a life that's unpleasing to God, and they're living it in large part because of peer pressure and what society around them believes and what, what, the, what the influences in their life are, are instructing them to do. And here's the problem. That thing has power. But it is not nearly as powerful as God. Don't fear that power. He says, look, you fear their power. By the way, they have power, the power to kill the body. But he says, why don't you fear someone who has power to kill the body and to cast your soul into hell? Now, that's some power. Ask the three Hebrew children. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, that fire have power? It has power, seven times harder than it was before. So why don't you bow? Oh, let me tell you why. It's, it's quite simple, actually, because that power right there is not even to compare to the power of our God. And Daniel chapter 3 literally records for us that when they came out of the fire, that there was not a smell of smoke on them, and the Bible says this, the fire had no power. You know why? Because in the presence of the all-powerful one, every other power is reduced to nothing. And when I come into the presence of an almighty God and I see his power, you know what I say? Keep me from evil. I don't want any part of that. I want a reverence. I want an awe. I want a fear of God who is that powerful. And Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and thine is the power. And then he says, thirdly, and thine is the glory. Thine is the glory this is his infinite perfection. 
Isaiah chapter 46, Isaiah reminds us this. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. There's two statements here that Isaiah makes. Speaking for God, he says, first of all, I'm God and there's none else. What he's, what he's saying is very simply this. I'm God and there's no other gods. There's, there's none other. Like, I'm, I'm the one only, singular. Oh, and by the way, I'm the only God and I'm the only one in that category. There's none else. You can't even compare me. You can't. There's no other being to compare me to. Moses? Moses, what's going on with your face? It's I can't even look at you, Moses. Your face is, where were, you, where were you? Oh, I'll tell you where I was. I was up on the mountain. And God just cracked that curtain back just a little bit. And he showed me just a glimpse of his glory. And just the glimpse of the glory of God in the life of Moses. And he comes off of that mountain and they're going, Moses, put something on your face, man. We can't even look at you. This is his infinite perfection. A God who is of purer eyes than to behold sin. A God who dwells in light. A God who is separate from anything impure. And when I think of that being, you know what I say to God? Keep me from evil. If that is who you are in all of your perfection, in all of your glory, if that is who you are, then I want to be as far away from anything that is opposing to that. And Jesus said, Keep us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And there's a fourth thing I give you very quickly. Forever. Forever. You know what my problem is? I live for the next five seconds. I react for the next five seconds. I make too many decisions based upon how does this impact me right here? How does this impact me right now? And Jesus reminds us, you want to be kept from the evil? Think about eternity. Don't think about right now. Don't think about the, the influence of now. Don't think about what your body wants now. Don't think about, what, about what, your, what your mind wants now. You think about the forever. 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Hey, Moses, Egypt has a lot to offer you. Moses, why don't you live as the son of Pharaoh's daughter? By the way, there was not a single pleasurable thing that would have been kept from Moses had he demanded it. Not a single thing. And don't you think that all the Egyptians living in Pharaoh's household all around Moses were a little bit confused by his behavior? Moses, why aren't you doing this? Moses, why will you not be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Moses, why would you ever, why would you ever want to suffer the humiliation and the, and the association of the people of God? You know what Moses says? Because I'm thinking about forever. I'm not thinking about right now. Hey, Joseph, here's the opportunity, man. There's nobody in the house. Live for the next five seconds of your life. Live for pleasure. 
And Joseph says, no, God meant it unto good. I'm not going to do that right now because my mind's on eternity. Abraham, why in the world would you ever leave Ur of the Chaldees? Why would you leave your family? Why would you leave your possessions? Why would you leave everything? By the way, Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. So you don't even know where you're going to? Nope. Why are you going? Because he said, well, I see this civilization. I see this town. I see these beautiful buildings. But I'm not looking at these buildings. I'm looking at a building that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I'm looking forward. And let me tell you something, my friend. When I get my eyes off of all of the stuff that's happening around me right now, when I get my eyes off of the next five seconds and I start thinking about the fact that I'm going to spend all of eternity with this God who is powerful, with this God who is glorious, with this God who is above all things, when I think about what Jesus did on the cross for me, when I think about all the eternal things in my life, you know what I say to God? Keep me from the evil. Keep it from me. May God help us in our minds to remember what Jesus said. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever. When my mind is on his kingdom, his power, his glory, and forever, my response is very simple. Keep me from the evil. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.